This episode is brought to you by... Just kidding. I'm not a sellout yet, guys. Just want to let everybody know that this episode is probably going to be part one of at least two to three episodes. Me and this guest have lots to talk about, but yet so little time. And as I'm sure you've seen, this episode is just under two hours long. We are also trying something different as he's recording on a microphone and sending me the clip because we are trying to see if we can possibly collaborate and bring him on as a co-host. But him being in a different state and time zone is kind of hard. So bear with us and hope you all enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back. I'm Colton McCormack, and this is the Certified Wrench Podcast. On the phone, by high demand, got Keldon Stapley. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. And what's up to everybody who uh, requested me? <laughs> yeah, the reason why I asked if you could hear me is obviously because we ran into technical difficulties last time. What is this, like the fifth time that we've tried to get this thing going? Yeah, the, the podcast gods do not want us to record together. Apparently not, but you know what? We just, it's just a little perseverance, man. You just make it, make it work. <laughs> they just do not want us to collaborate because we might make gold here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Then maybe, they, maybe they're just worried it's going to tank the podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, so many people know you. You have a huge following on Instagram, but some people might not know you. Introduce yourself, sir. So for those who are uh, unfamiliar with old Kelton here, um, let's just go ahead and give you a, a little bit of a, a high fly experience. So I uh, lived pretty much your typical American life for most of us. And if you're listening internationally, basically all the way up to high school, most of everybody had the same experience, right? There's going to be the, the subtle nuances, the social things that kind of set things apart. They kind of steer you one way or the other but that's all i'd imagine that's in any circle of life that you walk but after high school unlike most people i uh well okay sorry like most people i had no idea what to do but unlike most people i decided college probably wasn't going to be my gig right i barely scraped by in high school not because i was dumb but because i didn't like the book work and so i didn't do any of the homework Passed all my tests, but I just, man, I did not do good. <laughs> but I graduated, got all that good to go, sat around for a year working at McDonald's, flipping burgers, no idea what to do with my life until one day I was like, you know, military doesn't seem like that bad of a gig. So I joined the Marine Corps because it only makes sense that the scrawniest, most like un unassuming dude would join the best branch. So I, at 110 pounds, swore an oath to say, I can defend this country. And <laughs> hey, they, they said, you know what? Cool, we'll take you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was not a big guy. I literally remember when I went to the recruiting office to ship out because I depped in and I signed an underweight waiver. And the minimum weight is 114 pounds. Now, when I when you dep in that's delayed entry program, uh -huh. 
when you do that, they say like the rules are slightly different. And so they looked at me and they're like, okay, well, you know, you work at McDonald's, just eat a shit ton of hamburgers and you'll get up to weight. And then by the time you ship, you're good to go. So I didn't do that. I didn't gain weight. Like I ate like a madman. I still didn't gain weight. And literally the day that I was getting ready to ship, they, they're like, I don't know if mess is going to take you because you're still underweight. And so my recruiter gave me a gallon of water and said, make this disappear on the way to MEPS. And I drank almost that entire gallon and I was able to make weight. It was the very first thing I did when I got there. <laughs> Let's go pee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, dude. Like, so not even kidding. If you drink that much water and you start to pee, you just can't stop it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, like we had a urinalysis, obviously, before you ship, and they weighed us, and they're like, okay, but you got to do your, your urinalysis next. And I was like, I really have to pee. And military urinalysis are quite a bit different than the civilian side. Mm-hmm. Like, they have to watch the pee leave you into the cup, and you have to hold the rest of it until the end of it. Oh, my like God. Like, you, you fill out your sample and everything. So, yeah, and I, I couldn't. I was just like, I, I can't, uh, I drank so much water, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's a little bit of TMI for most folk out there. Everybody knows what it's <laughs> like to pee, but yeah. So I, uh, I shipped out, joined, joined the Marine Corps, shipped out, went through boot camp, did the whole nine yards and everything. And I ended up serving only one enlistment before getting out and deciding, all right, Let's let's go ahead and, and do something else for a change, right? The military is a great career, but it was it wasn't as fulfilling as I was as I wanted to be. Um, actually, you know, I should probably back up, shouldn't I, and tell you what I did in the Marine Corps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear more about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know what? We got some time. Let's segue into that a little <laughs> bit. So okay. So when I was uh, when I enlisted, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And we'll touch a little bit on when it comes to the trades and schooling and so on. And part of my apprehension was the cost of schooling, right? Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, the one thing that I thought about doing before I enlisted, the one kind of career that I was like, okay, I'm, that seems like something I would be interested in was the culinary arts. Interesting. I thought, I thought about being a chef. (laughs) I'm actually, I I still think sometimes like, "Mm, probably wouldn't have been that bad at it, you know, sometimes until I start to cook something and I realize that, no, no, that's a good thing I'm a mechanic. (laughs) But so anyway, when I, uh, when I went to the recruiting office at first, you know, they ask you like, okay, what kind of job are you interested in? What are you, what are your hobbies? You know, they'll, they'll ask you kind of. They're basically what they're trying to do is is tell you that you're going to get the job that you want, right? Mm-hmm. But um, which is all a lie. We'll touch on that in a minute. <laughs> but they uh, they were asking me, and I was like, "Well, I don't know, man. I I really like guns. Like, I love going out and shooting. You know, back when ammo was cheap, back when you could pick up a brick of twenty two for what I think it was like twelve bucks. Yeah, <sighs> I miss those days. <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, I like guns. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well. You might like being an armorer then. They just take care of guns. They maintain guns. You just, you fix all the guns, all of them. Like, yeah, cool. That sounds fun. So I signed my papers and everything and 
like every good recruiter, they definitely didn't lock in my job. And I didn't even sign a, a, a contract that said that I would be specific to any kind of weaponry. I signed a mechanical option contract, which mm. meant that I literally could have been working on, I could have been fixing anything mechanical in the Marine Corps, literally anything. So I unknowingly signed up to be something in the air wing. And the thing is, is when you first get out of boot camp, if you have kind of that same style uh, contract, they send you to a general schooling, right? And that's called your A school typically. And that'll cover big chunks of school, like basic theory for a lot of different things. Uh, In the air wing side, you end up going down to Pensacola. And so I graduated from boot camp, went down to Pensacola, Florida, and I spent, I don't know, like six months down there, uh, three of which was just waiting for a class because the, the classes were so full. They had you in what was called MAT platoon, Marines awaiting training. So I spent three months just being a groundskeeper, essentially, because, you know, they can't just let you sit there and do nothing. You, you still have to do stuff. Wow. That was interesting, but yeah. So I, uh, after I got out of, uh, or when, sorry, when I got to Pensacola, I sat down and they were like, all right, well, you're going to be airframes. You're going to work on everything structural related to rotary wing aircraft. That sounds pretty cool, right? Yeah. So they sat us down in the first class and, um, literally as the class is starting, some staff NCO walks in and says, okay, so everybody here is now going to be reclassed to power plants. What? So we all just got shifted from being working from, from being told we're going to work on the aircraft itself to now we're only working on the aircraft engines. Oh shit. I was like, okay, like that's still pretty cool, man. Jet engines are pretty interesting. I don't yeah. know how they work. I want to learn. <laughs> Well, they're like, well, that means that you have to go back into Matt Platoon because the class picks up in a week. Well, while we were waiting for the class to pick up, they came out and they said, well, that class is full, so you guys are going to be uh, stuck in Matt for a while while we figure out what to do with you. Yeah, they, don't, they didn't even know what to do with us. This whole class, there were, I think there were 30 of us in that class. So we just kept the sand pits clean, mowed lawns, like fixed sprinklers. We did everything that wasn't what you would expect the Marine Corps to, to have you do. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it was good times, I guess. It, ta- it taught me a lot about uh, where you can blow your money at because I was, you know, brand new PFC making, it was like $1,100 or like $900 every two weeks. So I felt like I was just rolling in the dough. Spent so much money on food, just fast food and crap, because I didn't want to go to the chow hall. And yeah, what it was, it was horrible. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but ultimately, they ended up sitting every one of our class down and said, "All right, listen up. You guys are gonna go back up to HQ, the the little headquarters office there, and you guys are gonna go, and they're gonna give you an MOS." Okay, cool. So we all go up there and they, they separate us out in sticks and they said, okay, you, the stick that I was in, they're like, you're all going to be AS. And nobody knew what AS was. We asked and they said, uh, it's something to do with the, with the aircraft. We, we're not really sure, but you're going to be AS. I was like, wow, cool, man. 
Nobody knows. So we spent the next three days trying to find somebody who knew what AS was. And it turns out AS is aviation specialist, which is the Navy uh, designation for what I ended up ultimately doing in the Marine Corps, which was ground support equipment. Mm. Which overall turned out to be a, a bit of a blessing because while those other jobs, airframes, power plants, uh, ALSS, like the the guys who sew the parachutes and all that, um, while all those other jobs are really cool and you actually get to work on the aircraft, most of those guys, they really don't end up pursuing mechanical type passions. Uh, a lot of them will go back and try to get in with the, the big companies like Boeing and so on, where they'll basically just be a, a laborer for the rest of their careers, which does kind of suck. But we got told, um, once we found out what ground support equipment did, you know, at first out we were all kind of let down because ground support equipment is maintaining, repairing, you know, uh, issuing everything on the flight line that is not the aircraft. So everything from the hydraulic jacks to the tow bars to the the little mobile generators that they would do testing with the aircraft with, all of that was used, all of that was, was taken care of by us. And in theory, uh, GSE is supposed to be able to go in and do all the repairs necessary at the maintenance level that they're at to keep those those things up and running. Now, in the four years that I spent in the Marine Corps, I learned really quickly that it's not the case. Uh, <laughs> I'll expound on that a little bit, but uh, they uh, the so there's a stigma in the military branches that Marines are idiots, that we're just the dumbest of the dumb. And unfortunately, a lot of times that is true. Marines are really, they're fucking stupid. I always heard that the Marines are the best of the best. Well, we're the best of the best when it comes to fighting and fucking, but when it comes to actually (laughs) thinking, we're not the best of the best. Most of us anyway. That's a big 10 for (laughs) You'll learn why here in a second when I tell you the the troubleshooting steps for something that that was (laughs) well within our repair rights. But anyway. No, it's uh, so with that in mind, it's it's pretty easy to understand how you can shine pretty quickly if you just have a little bit of intelligence. So, you know, I started out everybody like everybody else. You check into a unit. You you're just you're the little bitch. You get hazed. You just you have no idea what's going on. Like brand new area, brand new people, brand new faces. Like you literally just got assigned a barracks room. An hour prior, you don't even know how to get back to the barracks as you're standing there in your your service uniforms. You're, you're it's it's a mess, dude. It is a whole different culture, and you you start out the same way every single person does, which is kind of humbling. But it's it's not that hard to find yourself in a situation where you start to understand that hey. Maybe nobody else still knows what's going on, right? And <laughs> when I say I uh, I was able to shine a little bit better than most is uh, it was pretty quick when I first started to read up on the procedures that we were supposed to do. And I, I started pointing out things saying, hey, by the way, these maintenance manuals, they tell us to do it this way. Why are we doing it this other way? 
And our QA, like our, our staff and CEOs and stuff, would look at that and go, huh, that's a good question. Why are we doing it this way? And we'd like, it wasn't long before we had a shortage of uh, non-commissioned officers. And I was a Lance Corporal, which is E3 pay grade. And they said, okay, well, Stapley, you know a lot about this work center. So you're going to be the stand-in supervisor until we get an NCO in here, which is E4 and E5 uh, pay grade. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. (laughs) So, and well, here's the real kicker about that. To be a work center supervisor, it's technically an E6 billet pay grade. Mm -hmm. So you would have to be a staff sergeant in theory at minimum to be a work center supervisor. But because there's not enough staff sergeants, they say, well, bill it over rank. You can be a work center supervisor as an E. I think they said the minimum was E4 because you had to be, uh, if you were a work center soup, you had to be a collateral duty inspector, which is a QA position. Mm-hmm. And they would not grant a QA license to anybody lower than an E4 when I was in. I don't know if they might have changed it. but So I was, I was doing work center supervisor duties without having any of the authority. You know, I would be the guy who would go out and, I would double check everybody's work. I'd distribute the work amongst my, my dudes in the morning. I'd be like, all right, listen up. You know, these are priorities. These aren't, you know, whatever it may be. And I'd make sure my guys were scheduled out for training. Although I couldn't schedule the training because I was just an E3, but that top, like it, like I said, dude, it was, it wasn't long before there were, you were, you weren't just working on equipment anymore. You started to get into the admin side because if you showed even a glimmer of intelligence, that outshone everybody around you and they're like cool now you're slightly smarter than everybody else let's go ahead and make take the the best advantage of that but jesus <laughs> yeah i literally spent one year working on equipment before they like a whole year total before they said okay now you're gonna just go ahead and run this work center and hopefully you get promoted soon because then we can give you all the duties or all the authority to be able to handle everything else and yeah, it didn't take long before I, I made corporal. And once I was a corporal, I just, I ran the hydraulic work center for, uh, the rest of my contract and learned quite a bit doing that. I'll tell you what hmm. it is because I mean, one thing that I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that Miss McCormack can touch on is managing people. It fucking sucks. You man. said it wrong. It's Mrs. Certified. <laughs> As I was, Mrs. Certified. You can you can uh, name drop that if you want. <laughs> but no, that's managing people sucks, dude. Mm-hmm. It really does, especially when everybody thinks that they're the best. Yep. It, it's the worst, but it taught because it's it's a little different in the Marine Corps. Um, one of the things that really kind of hits home is just how much of a controlling culture it is because partly because you know marines are fucking stupid but also just because it's it's so easy with small unit leadership to just let that kind of carry over into every aspect of life Mm -hmm. so for example if any one of my marines wanted to get married you can't just go get married Like you had to sit down, have a counseling session with them about, you know, the, if they're a hundred percent sure if they want to get married, if this is really their, what they want to do, you got to try to make sure they're not just trying to get out of the barracks and all this other stuff. Like 
you got to try to suss out about their life and see if they're if this is just some chick they met at the strip club down the road or if like you know that there's actual something going on here yeah and then you have to get them signed up for all the classes associated with it because there's like i think five or six different classes that they have to attend Really? And then you have to sign off and say, okay, I, I approve this Marine getting married. And then you have to route that through your chain of command and they can say, yes, let's let PFC, whatever, get married. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just like one example. But on top of all that, you also still have to manage their training. So all of their military training, rifle range, gas mask, uh, PFT, CFT, the physical fitness tests and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you still have to manage all their, their, their licenses to do their jobs. Like every piece of equipment we worked on, you had to get licensed with that piece of equipment in, or, in order to work on it. Yeah, I'm, I believe and then, that. Well, it's honestly like it saved a lot of headache because you wouldn't worry about somebody screwing something up because mm-hmm. they would they would have had to have attended some level of training and attained some level of knowledge about it so they could actually do it. Right. But yeah, it's life, man. (laughs) I got you. Anyway. So yeah, for those of you who are interested, that's definitely, uh, the air wing side of the Marine Corps. (laughs) So, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, (laughs) I didn't expect all that. I, because now what you're doing, you know, for work was, oh, go on with your story. Yeah, well, it's uh, it it didn't take long to realize that uh, when I was turning wrenches, I was happier than how I was when I was managing people, mm-hmm. and so I I it came to a point where I could have either reenlisted. And my wife could have gotten out and found a job or I could have gotten out and she could have finished her contract Mm because we enlisted at about the same time and I had a four-year contract and she had a six-year contract because of her job. Okay. And so I decided to get out because I figured, you know, I could find a job being a mechanic pretty easy. And even if I didn't go to school or something like that, I'm sure I could find something. Everybody loves hiring vets and, you know, I'm not... I'm not mechanically disinclined. I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on it. <laughs> and so I decided I was going to get out and I left for uh, trade school. Now, whether or not they wouldn't mind me saying their name or not, that's something entirely different. But they, uh, I went to the one trade school that's in Wyoming for over the road diesel. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> all right. All right. So. I actually, I was on the fence if I wanted to go to UTI or if I wanted to go to WyoTech. And I knew that both programs were, you know, they're pretty thorough. They're pretty good. I knew both schools had really good veteran relationships. Um, I knew both schools would guarantee job job placement at once you graduated, right? Mm-hmm. So the ultimate deciding factor for me was... When I was talking to the the UTI rep, he kept talking about how the, all the the programs and how how cheap it was for us. It literally just came across as though they were trying to buy my GI bill from me. Basically, is what it felt like. And when I talked to the WyoTech representative, he came across as genuine 
basically he was he talked a lot he talked a lot about how they would have students who would come back and visit the school and and just to you know touch base with the instructors and and how they would have or they have a program in place where you can go back at any point and do a refresher course and that's included with your original um admission or your original uh tuition right interesting and yeah, and that's that's so that if tech like the the introduction of computers, there were a lot of guys at the time that were starting to go back just because they wanted to get up to speed on the introduction of you know engine management systems that were regulated with a computer instead of an old mechanical governor or mm-hmm. you know whatever it may be. So that it, it felt a lot more as though they were more interested in trying to turn out good quality technicians and less yeah. about just trying to pump out numbers, right? Mm-hmm. But I did their I did their over the road advanced diesel program with the core diesel, and that took nine months. But it was a it was an insanely good program, and I highly recommend. I, I tell everybody, I says, you know, if you're gonna drop, I don't even know what the tuition is. I think at the time though, it was like thirty two grand. Mm-hmm. I was like, it seems like a lot of money, but to be honest with you, thirty two grand, you have a guaranteed job. And it gives you so much like practical experience with the advanced diesel program that you're just going to come out of that shit hot. You're going to come out hit, ready to hit the ground running and mm-hmm. you're going to show up the the guy who went to the local school or the guy who just, you know, is starting out straight out of high school kind of thing. Like you're going to start out with an insanely good set of fundamentals and it's going to carry you. Oh, so yeah. I did that, but... Um, I actually decided to stay for an additional course where I did their uh, uh, motorsports chassis fabrication okay. because I wanted to learn how to weld and how to cut with oxyacetylene and, and plasma. And that was a three-month course. And the one, the one takeaway from that that really helped me out was, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute, but was the... Uh, the fabrication side of things. So mm-hmm. they taught you how to do uh, build roll cages, how to back half cars, how to set up, um, like how to take a, a a unibody car and basically make it ready for the track if you wanted to. You know, it was they taught you how to how to fabricate, how to lay things out, how to build materials lists for projects, how to how to build a project itself, right? Mm-hmm. And it was. It was a really, really good course. The instructors were incredibly knowledgeable. Like they taught, they they hounded really, or sorry, they were really keen on ensuring that you had um, actual like skills development. Mm-hmm. So they had the welding, the welding comps, and you would go up and you would do, let's say, like a like a butt weld. All right. You lay your pieces out on your little coupons. You do a butt weld with Mega Tig, and you can walk up to the instructor, and they look at it, and they'd say, "Okay, you know, I critique you." Or if they if they liked it, they'd say, "Okay, do me another one." <laughs> so you go back and you try to do another one. And if you were like, if you just got lucky, if you didn't realize, you know, you weren't paying attention, you weren't applying the fundamentals. Sometimes it'd take you a couple times to do the other one. But they were they were paying enough attention to know if it took you a while. So like if it, if it was a while before you got back to them, they'd say, okay, well do me another one <laughs> and do me another. They just, they'd want to see you actually get the process down. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes back to the, the actual 
the interest in, in quality over quantity, the, the school kind of perpetuated. Oh, yeah. But that was, that was, that was really the best, mo- the best money that I could have spent for my GI Bill. And the fact that they're a yellow ribbon school, which means they'll, they'll split the difference after your initial GI Bill with the VA, oh. um, really helped out. I didn't have to pay a dime for that. That's cool. But after that, I, uh, I needed a job because my wife only had so much time left in the Navy before she got out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I worked at a local dealership here in the Valley for, uh, I think I lasted about six months before I realized not the place to be, right? Like automotive? Nope. It was the only Mack and Volvo dealer in this area in Utah. Oh, truck. Okay. Over-the-road trucks, and I actually lucked out hardcore with that. So when I hired on, I was only making $14 an hour for my first 90 days. Mm-hmm. Shit pay, man. That's just trash. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any different, but at the same time, I also just really needed a job. But it turned out to be a blessing because I was I didn't feel too guilty about what I was doing, which when I first hired on, they had just had a master tech who got in a car wreck and so his arm was in a sling. Mm-hmm. Couldn't work. But he didn't have, like, that dealership didn't have any kind of, like, accidental death or dismemberment or any kind of, uh, like, good insurance that would actually cover him in that instance. So really? wow. he had to keep going to work to put food on the table. Wow. Thankfully, they were, they were willing to work with him on it. And so they put him on this program that Volvo had at the time called Triage. Mm-hmm. And that's where you you uh, take a truck and you have two hours to figure out what's wrong with it and get the parts on order and send it down the line so a, a, a shop tech can fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty good program, but I ended up being that dude's hands because he couldn't actually do anything. And that gave me six months of the best OJT anybody could ask for. And it taught me, it taught and- me so much about troubleshooting, dude. It was, it was unreal. Young guys out there, OJT on the job training. <laughs> yes, sir. An OJT is typically done underneath a uh, a more experienced guy too. Yes, sir. And that is the best, even if they're a crotchety old bastard. So you said you only worked there about six months. You said. Yeah, it was six months, and before I realized that there was just no future there. Mm. Literally, the turnover rate was so high. That I watched four people quit while I was in that, in those six months, and they all got replaced. It was insane, and that like somehow that dealership's still afloat. Nobody knows how. They uh, <laughs> they are they are barely scraping by. Like their yeah. service department is falling apart. Hmm. Hmm. Well, but I actually, from there, I decided you know let's screw it. I need a better, I need a place to grow because eventually I want to have a family, you know, yeah. and, yep. and I want to actually have a, a future. And so I decided I'd reach out. I put in for a couple places and I put in for the local Caterpillar dealer mm-hmm. and they said, you know what, let's bring you in for an interview. And I put in for the power systems job because it was one of the only ones that was open at the time. And they called me back and they said, let's sit you down for an interview. I had no idea what power systems was. No idea. <laughs> I literally, I just looked at it and I was like, whatever, it's an open job. It'll get my yep. foot in the door at a Caterpillar dealer. And mm-hmm. I, I actually wanted to go to the heavy side. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I put in for it. They interviewed me. 
And I, <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna kill everybody. But I remember sitting in the interview, and my supervisor, my soon to be supervisor, was asking me. He says, "You know, I see you went to trade school, and you know, like they teach you a lot. They let did they let you build an engine? And at the time, Wyotech's advanced diesel program didn't let you build like tear down an engine and do an in frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got lucky because the truck that we had was the engine was seized." I think it was like number four main spun or something like that. Hmm. It was an ISX, but they uh, they sent us another engine to swing, hmm. and so we swung an engine in, and that was that was pretty fun. That taught me a lot about that process. But it was it was killer sitting in that interview and getting asked the question: Have you ever built any engines, anything like motorcycle? <laughs> and and I'm just. At this point, I I know I have this sinking feeling. I'm like, well, they're already not going to hire me because they're clearly looking for somebody who knows their sh- knows mm-hmm. their shit. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just straight up I was honest. I said, you know, not really. I think the most that I've done, I've done some light engine work on my my adventure bike, and the engine that we kind of tore down and put together at Wildtech. It wasn't a running engine. It was just so you could you could practice getting measurements. Mm-hmm. And then I told him, I says, the only other engine that I've ever rebuilt or that I've ever torn down, I didn't rebuild. And that was in shop class in high school. And it was a lawnmower engine. <laughs> and he just looks at me and he goes, oh, so you, oh. Never re- you never actually built an engine. I was like, no, I haven't. But somehow, I don't For know sure. how, they just... Yeah, they decided. Yep, that's the guy. So, (laughs) so they hired me. I got a call like two days later. I'm sitting there trying to figure out why one of these uh, ABS harnesses is completely toasted on this Volvo, and I get this call, and I just remember sitting there on this fender, and I just everybody says, "Dude, it was like a totally different person came over, like took you over," because I was just giddy. I was happy. I was skipping around. I was. It was the best feeling ever. And I still remember the day that I left that dealership. I literally was, I I had my two weeks. They were already put in. And I remember that day because it was a weekend and I was working on a truck that lost a a steer, uh, a whole steer hub because the driver didn't do his PDI or his his pre-trip. So he didn't see the oil. Uh Yeah. Uh, he didn't see that the hub was completely fucking empty. Like it had been leaking for a while. Yeah. And he, going down the road, he lost the, the, I think it was the right steer and dropped that axle on the ground, skidded to a halt. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was funny. He asked me, he's like, oh, it's, I mean, I, I swear I checked that, but I might've missed it. And I was like, okay, like, I don't care. It's not my money. I'll just <laughs> yeah. say you checked it. <laughs> so, but they, uh, my manager had come out to me from the the Volvo dealer, and he's he starts pointing at how he's oh you've got a lot of time on this job. I was like, yeah, dude, like I ain't fucked with kingpins before. Like I've only barely done a few of them. Like this yeah. is, and it was the new fancy Volvo cone style that you only have to like torque it once. You don't have to set end play or anything. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, I just want to make sure I do things right, dude. Like I don't want this to come back and bite me. And he's he started getting all red faced. And this guy's he's a big dude, but he was gutless, man. He was just <laughs> the most pushover dude ever. But he starts getting super red faced. And I know how much of a pushover he is. So I just start it just strikes me as being the funniest thing ever. 
and I can't even control. I start laughing at him. And he just, he gets so mad all of a sudden. And I'm just like, I, I can't even stop it at this point. I'm, I genuinely feel like an asshole, but I just start laughing and I keep laughing and I just, I'm laughing harder. It's like one of those gut wrenching laughs, dude. And he just starts starts storming off and he turns around and he goes if you're not going to fix this truck then you might as well just pack your shit and get out of here starts walking away he's like oh don't worry I'll fix it <laughs> like dying in between laughs and I just let out I let out this big old woo it echoes through the shop and I just you see him twitch like his whole body jumps he just goes into his office and slams his door and everybody's looking at me and they're just laughing too because they know that like they know I'm I'm already out the door at Hell that yeah. point. And so I, <laughs> I finish the truck. I, I back it out of the shop. And I walk back into the... I walk into his office and I go, Hey, it's probably better that I just leave. Because, yeah, you should you should probably just go. It's We won't <laughs> hold you here for another week. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I packed my shit up and I left. Right on. But... That's awesome. Yeah, that... <laughs> and I've been working... Uh, God damn, we're still telling the story of Kelton. Jesus. <laughs> I think this is going to be the longest intro you've ever had. Probably. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. People like to hear the intros, so. Yeah. And this is for the people who don't know who old Ravenlock is, but they, uh, I, uh, w- went over, started working at. Oh, I just pooped a little. Name drop. Oh, <laughs> started yeah. working at the I'll, cat. I'll edit it. <laughs> I got you. Anyway, started working at the cat dealer and working in the power system shop. Did that for five years. And I'll tell you what, man, if you want to grow, jump into a whole different trade. Like mm-hmm. You have to learn. Mm-hmm. And I learned power generation. I had no idea what that was. Like I remember sitting. So touching on that, going back to the Marine Corps, uh, I was in the hydraulics work center. Well, the generator side of the support equipment division mm-hmm. was a completely different MOS, a completely different job. So all those guys worked on the generators, the light towers, the I think they even had the nitrogen carts. Like they had they had all that stuff. I didn't. I worked on hydraulics. I didn't even work on the tugs. Anything with high hide oil, that was my my responsibility, right? Interesting. Okay. Which I loved. It was a pretty it was a pretty slick gig, but going back to that interview with Kat, uh, they asked me, they were asking me like, Well, what do you know about power generation? I'm like, Well, I know how an alternator works. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if they knew that I was talking about like an over the road truck alternator because generators are also called alternators, like big generators. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that won them over. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, man, it is nothing puts the fear of God in your eyes, like realizing just how much potential there is behind 480 volt. And that's considered low voltage. Yeah. Definitely. Like it is, it is terrifying. And one of the things that it taught me going from all the different areas that I've been to into a power generation shop, into a Caterpillar power generation shop with such strict uh, safety, safety guidelines, safety rules, safety practices in place is it's really up to you if you want to make it home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it is, it only takes one little fuck up, one little thing, and you're toast. Like, it's terrifying. (laughs) 
But I did, I worked in the power gen shop for, like I said, about five and a half years, learned a lot, grew a lot, um, really kind of, kind of stirred the pot a little bit before I decided, eh, I think I'm going to go try my luck somewhere else. And I'd say, how long have I been on the earth moving side now? Uh, four months? Five months? Yeah, about, about four, four or five months. Um, I did probably one of the most reckless things that you could do, and I jumped from the power gen side, <laughs> shop power gen side, and just skipped like all the other steps that I should do, and I jumped straight into the earth moving field service. So, and <laughs> yep, been doing that for the last five months out of an F 150 rapid response truck, which is actually a pretty slick gig, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, I don't know how bad you want to just jump into it, but I've I've got like a couple of questions about that actually. But unless you're not done, yeah, screw it, throw it. Like we're up to speed now. Y'all know about old Ravenlock, unless you want to touch on childhood trauma. <laughs> so you just said you jumped ahead like crazy, going from the power gen to the whatever you're doing now. Uh, isn't it kind of the same though? Like in the same aspect, you're still using sys and et. You're just working on a different type of cat machine, right? It is. And one of the things that I that I think really gives me an advantage is the lack of information from the power gen side. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot of good troubleshooting for stuff, and there's not a whole lot of good uh, like actual solid info. So uh, one of the things you hear people complain about for cat equipment, for light equipment, is oh it's not even a cat engine okay that's great that's most of the time they're small enough it's not worth actually like rebuilding or something they'll usually just throw those away they'll rni the engine send it back for core well interesting a little hard to do with a package generator set like a full package with switch gear and everything built built into it Mm-hmm. that's designed to be able to be parked next to a building, hooked up to the building and used as backup power in case the main line goes out, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is, is all those prints, all those designs, they'll tell you, oh yeah, it's all in SIS and you'll look into it and well, no, it's not. Or yeah, there is a print there in SIS, but it's illegible or it's not even for this unit or it doesn't have all the stuff on it that this unit has on it because it was added after because most of the Caterpillar uh, package generator sets that I worked on, like the actual power modules, they were all Altifer built. So they were built by a dealer that got authority by Caterpillar to build these package sets. Hmm. You know, they Very would use mostly, well, they would use most most cat stuff. But the problem is, is there's stuff that cat's not going to make, like a door handle for a switchgear cabinet. They don't give a shit about that. It's not. They're not going to put it into the whole cat system just to have a fancy door handle. No, they're going to they're going to use the outsourced option that 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 dealership found when they built the, or they designed the package. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, or or even just how things are wired and how they're how they're made. You know, they're using when they when they build them, they will use equipment and components and stuff like that for stationary application. So you'll open a cabinet up and there's like. Uh, a PLC logic controller that you would find in 
like a, a hospital for a ventilation system or something like, you know, somewhere that's not moving, but they've mm-hmm. taken all those components and they've put them on DIN rails in a cabinet and they've put them in a, a 30 foot trailer, a, you know, shipping container style trailer. And they've mm-hmm. shoved it on a, on a, a transport trailer and they said, cool. Uh, <laughs> now it can go anywhere and do all the power that it needs. Yeah. But there's no help for that. There's no support. You'll you'll go to find the component and like part numbers don't match up. You go you try to find parts and sys and it's a nightmare. Like one thing I've learned from coming coming from the uh, paragen side to, to the actual uh, earth moving side is you can do a lot of stuff with a serial number and TMI and hell even just with sys two the dashboard. There's so much information there on sys 2s dashboard. Mm-hmm. You can narrow it down real fast if you're looking for a specific part. Really? Really hard to do with the industrial side of things. Okay. That's good to know because I was working on an old-ass 725 wiggle wagon this past week. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, finding parts for that old thing is a pain in the ass because of all the serial number breaks. <laughs> yeah. And they all look the same in the pictures. So you're like, is this mm. the correct one or is the hole going to be off? So. Yeah, right. And then you're like looking at part numbers, trying to see if they're the same or, or mm-hmm. you'll punch them into to your ordering system and see if they've updated and shit. Yeah, yeah. that's I, the real fun. I just gave my parts list to my PSSR and said, here, find this. <laughs> 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 yeah, and he probably turned around to the supervisor and was like, here, I don't know what the fuck's going on. No, my supervisor said, find them. <laughs> oh, there you go. Sweet. Yeah, but that's, I mean, it, a lot of it's the same. You're not wrong there. A lot of it's a lot of the the same uh, tooling is used there, the, like the actual digital tooling and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the procedures are are very new to me. Um, even with kind of a, a background in hydraulics and with the schooling that WyoTech gave me for hydraulics, because they had a module that was fluid power and electrical, and they had a whole section for hydraulics that you know, taught you about certain things most of it was geared specifically for over the road trucks but there was still a lot of good fundamentals that i learned from that but still like coming from there and going into these uh into the earth moving side of things it's it's a bit of a learning curve because of it's much more symptom-based troubleshooting yeah you like you have to you have to understand the system not as much like you're looking for a code. So, or, or I guess it's kind of similar for generator stuff, but, um, most of the time, like power gen stuff, what you end up dealing with is you have symptoms, um, up to a point and then the failure becomes extremely obvious. Right. Uh, I you've been following me for a while. You probably seen some of the stories that I've put up, uh, where you'll just see a, a generator that's got a big old like base or softball size hole in the windings. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard to ignore that. And usually the work order is uh, the descriptor when it gets dropped off is customer states smoke and fire came out of gen end. <laughs> yep, I bet it did. It takes a lot of heat to melt iron and all those uh, iron insulators, they're all melted. So that was hot. So I kind of want to jump back a little bit. So five and a half years ago, I guess, when you first got into this, you said you didn't really know anything about it. How long and how hard was it to learn the gin side and all that stuff and, you know, completely switch up your career? 
it was to learn the actual generator side of things. Um, I'd say the hardest part that I had was taking the theory because generator EPG stuff, a lot of this is there, there's a lot more theory to it than there is actual prac app. So, and I'm not a very good, like theoretical learner, I guess. Um, like you can sit there and explain how something works to me and it doesn't quite click until I actually see it. Right. Or I'm actually fixing it. Um, and part of the problem that we had is, is the, the EPG shop for the cat dealer I'm at is very small. It always has been like, we've never had more than six people in this shop. And this dealer's huge, dude. Like it, it is, it's, I think it's like number three or like number four and all of all the cat dealers, like we're up there. Um, oh no, that can't be right. Maybe that's only for safety, but you know, we're, we're pretty high up there and this is like, it is such a small shop that a lot of times there was one guy who's like a, he's like an idiot savant when it comes to power generation, anything electrical dude's a fucking whiz. Like you literally cannot beat him. But the problem is, is getting the information out of him so you can understand what's going on because he's just not a good teacher. Like he talks at a level and, and tries, he talks at a level where when you try to get information from him, the vibe that you get is he's telling you how smart he is, right? Yeah. You ever worked with a guy like that? Oh yeah. Really frustrating. But <laughs> after a little bit of being there and realizing that that's just how this guy is, like he doesn't understand that he's doing that. That's just how he he interprets the knowledge. And so obviously that's how he's going to teach it. You learn how to how to speak that language and you learn how to get into it and learn. Um, the hardest part actually that I had was getting the opportunity to get the exposure. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we were, we're, they were, I keep saying we, I'm not there anymore. Um, they were a small shop, <laughs> are still a small shop. Mm-hmm. And you end up having people who specialize in things because of that, because we still need to turn out stuff at the same rate that the big shop does, except it's not so much of being, being able to pick and choose what you want. It's more being able to pick and choose what can be kicked out the door the fastest. So I spent a lot of time learning about water trucks, working on those, dump trucks, rental generators, fixing, mostly just servicing those, but fixing little things on those, usually things like on the trailer or the chassis. You know, I spent a lot of time doing what would be considered the the, the bitch work, right? Yeah. In all fairness, I'm, at, at this point in my career, you know, I'm still really freaking new because I don't even count, typically I don't count my four years in the military, in the Marine Corps, as being applicable to the actual physical wrenching trades. I got you. I got you. But, like I said, I spent most of that being a supervisor, less of it being an actual mechanic. Hmm. But no, it was one of the hardest things that I had, though, in that shop. And I actually ended, I was looking for other jobs pretty close or pretty quickly after being hired on. Really? Was... Well, it was that. It was the fact that I felt like I wasn't being invested into. I wasn't being grown. Yeah. Right? So I, I was just doing all these, um, like, quick turns and and 
cleaning water trucks and wiping. Like I was world's most expensive detailer, pretty much. You know, you'd <laughs> clean the glass, you'd you'd wipe down the cab with Arm Armor All, you'd vacuum the floor, and if it was, you'd go and steam it off and all this stuff. And I I started to hate that because it was it was the same repetitive type shit that I was like, why? Like I could have been hired on at a a, a really like fresh out of the Marine Corps, and this would have been okay. But I feel like I just wasted a year of my life at WyoTech by, you know, now all I'm doing is water trucks. I understand. And it was, it was that. And we had a, there was a project that they were supporting. Um, there's a data center down here for the NSA and they have a whole bunch of cat generators, but they're all tier four final. They're one of the first tier four final cat generator sets. Okay. And I think each one of those, like the, they're all high voltage generators, 4160 volt, but they all have, they all had this custom made exhaust. It's basically uh, a clean emissions module, but the size of a small apartment thing is huge. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Like, but the problem is, is they were all built by some, some outfit back East that would just build them on the, on a shop floor by hand, each and every single one of them. And so they started to, to develop cracks and they started to leak exhaust and their efficiency was going down and they were, they weren't meeting the regulations that they needed to meet for, uh, pollution. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having to take each one of them off. And this is, this is a project that lasted, you know, a couple of years. I think it was like a three year long project. Oh, wow. But, oh, I think it was a, I think it was a four year long project, but they had to take each of those off, take them back to the shop and the weld shop, um, would get them up on a stand we would go in, pull all the catalyst because it had had def injector. They were like spears. They literally were like a 10-foot injector nozzle, quote-unquote, but it was like a spear with a bunch of different nozzles on it. <laughs> so we had to pull those out, get those cleaned, then we'd have to pull the catalysts out, the DOCs out. And the, there were 20 of those, and you had to jump down in this thing, pull the catalysts out, lift them up, take them all, you know, put them on a on a – a pallet, vacuum them all off, vacuum all the soot and everything off, inspect them, make sure they weren't cracked and all that shit. And then we had to pull all the the actual, um, like the the SCR catalyst bricks themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had to pull all those out. And there were four walls of these catalyst bricks. They were about, I'd say, five and a half foot wide by eh, six foot tall, right? Jesus, okay. And... The, each brick is, they are, I'd say about 45, 50 pounds. And it's just a, a flow-through style catalyst brick like you would expect on an SCR catalyst. Mm-hmm. But there's each one of these walls is built from these bricks and they have a shelf in between them. And there's three bricks per shelf. But the only way to access this thing is to go through this the exhaust port, which is only like a two-by-two two circle. Oh, hell and, no. Oh, so getting back to it, like the dealer, the dealer I work for, 100% safety conscious. That was a confined space by definition. I brought that up. Nobody ever even batted an eye. They're like, oh, no, we did a, we did a study. It's not a confined space. And I literally looked up the 1910 uh, declaration. I was like, look, verbatim, this meets every single one of these requirements, dude. Yeah, I, so. From early on, I was one of the guys who just who grew a target on my back. But <laughs> no, that was 
you had to pull all those bricks out. You had to vacuum them off. You had to store them. You had to take the shelves back that, that separated the bricks. And then you had to cut the shelves an inch off each side of the shelf because they put this insulative foam or this insulated blanket on each side of the of each wall. And then the, the shelves had to be shortened by a certain amount because uh, we had to put this felting tape on it. It was the definition of production style work. And mm-hmm. mind you, the entire time you're doing this, you have to wear a Tyvek suit with a respirator and a bunch of other crap. And it's... It's hot, dude. In that in that thing, it got like 115 degrees, and you're slinging these 45 pound bricks out this hole, and you can only do, you know, so much to keep cool, to keep hydrated because it's sooty, it's gross, it's hot, it's miserable, and you can't stand all the way up. You're slightly hunched the whole time. No, thank you. It it was the definition of bitch work, and that's that's why. Like it was it was that or water trucks, and that made me just screw this, man. I want to leave. Because every time I'd ask to get more exposure, it'd be like, well, we'll, we'll get you some, we'll get you some. And I get, it kept getting kicked down the road. But eventually what it, what it ended up boiling down to is I, uh, I told my supervisor, I says, look, like, I really, really feel like I'm not being utilized here and I would like to make a career here, but I feel like it's not happening. So he started getting me more exposure, you know, little, little shit, like a light tower. Oh, it's got an oil leak on the valve cover gasket. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like that's cool. You know, it's something cool. I'll do it. Started getting more and more involved. And then I started deliberately, like I would knock out my work as fast as I could. And then I'd run over because I knew, you know, okay, I, I've got a little cushion of time here from what it should, should it, it should take because we're hourly. We're not flat rate. Yeah. So I run over there and I'd help some guy who was, you know, rebuilding an engine or repairing a, an actual generator, like a big one. So I'd go over there and try to learn as much as I could. You know, I'd grill the old dudes. We <laughs> had one old dude in the shop who, old son of a bitch, dude. He's he's probably still kicking somewhere, but he was he was the kind of guy who, if you screwed up, he would just look at you and be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you did you and you would have you'd have to have an answer, otherwise he'd just keep going off on you. So, but I, if for some reason you took a liking to me, but I grilled him for as much knowledge as I could. Mm. You know, I was, I was trying to learn all the, all the little things about these, these mechanical fuel systems. Cause when I went through biotech, they, they told us like, yeah, you're never going to see one of these. So we won't really touch on them. Well, it turns out like that's pretty much all that I learned right off the bat. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it took a lot of time, but I'll tell you what, man. The hardest part was getting back to your original question. The <laughs> hardest part was really just getting the exposure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so there's a really long-winded answer for your one question. What do you got for your other one? I kind of want to jump down to a, a last topic on your questionnaire, kind of jumping off of you know your long-winded answer there. <laughs> <laughs> Because it kind of goes. I feel with, like we're still in the intro. Yeah, yeah. we're we're at an Good hour Lord. already. By by the way, are you kidding? <laughs> Fifty eight minutes. Oh my good lord, dude. Do we have a well? Don't worry, everybody. There will be a a, a second one. <laughs> uh, well, okay. and there might be more to it after a second episode. Just a little teaser there. Um, mm-hmm. So, training wise, you know. Did you get a lot of training in the beginning? Because, you know, you're, the importance of taking training seriously and keeping yourself up to date on, you know, industry changes. Have, have you gone through a lot of training with work? And all I that? would say that's 
that's probably the best perk about working for a Caterpillar dealer is mm. they typically have a very robust in-house training or they'll have um, they'll they'll invest pretty heavily into their technicians. And that's that's one of the things that I feel like has helped me a lot is all the in-house training they've had and the fact that even when it, we were like dead slow, and this is just my dealer. It's not universal to all the dealers, but mm-hmm. they t- they went ahead and they said, "Well, I'd rather have you training than than sweeping floors. So mm-hmm. do these online modules." And mm-hmm. yeah, sure, you're not going to learn the best from them, but it still is better than sweeping floors. <laughs> Hell yeah! But the thing, the thing that like I want to expound on that as far as uh, taking training seriously is even even going through school, even going through WildTech. There were there were kids in there that were treating it like it was a second phase of high school, you know. Oh, you know, I'm just here, and they they nearly flunk a test, or they would they'd screw off during lab, and they wouldn't actually try to understand. Okay, well, this is how a ten speed works. You know, this mm-hmm. is the power flow. They would just say, "Oh, I'm never going to learn anything here. I'll learn it when I when I get to a shop." Maybe, but the other thing that that blows me away is that was their own money that they spent. Yeah, going there, right? And they didn't take that seriously. What makes you think they're going to take it serious when they're actually at a shop and they say, "Well, you need a refresher course." They won't. <laughs> and that's that's everywhere, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, how much uh, how much training have have you gone through? Myself, uh, a lot back in the day. Not anymore. But oh uh, well, yeah, I yeah on the green side of deer. Went to quite a few, you know, even stupid little core classes and then jumping over the construction side. I mean, I got certified in every machine except for the giant loaders, which they're junk anyway, so. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> um, uh, did you did you see this in the class? And I, I've seen this a lot. You'll see the guy who's there because I'm assuming it's paid training. Most dealers do have paid training. Mm-hmm. Um, they're there and they're just treating it as an extended break. Uh, I hate to say it, but I've actually been that guy a couple of times. <laughs> I have a really <laughs> short attention span and those classes were pointless to me. The whole reason why I was there is to get some information and get the certification. I'm more of a hands-on guy. So it was, well, okay. it's really tough let's, for me. Uh, let's play devil's advocate advocate mm-hmm. here um mm-hmm. you say like you were just looking for some information does that mean that you already knew most of the, the course material yeah because i mean most of the 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 training classes that i went to it's basically all the same stuff just on different machines so it's like okay i already know this i already know where to go you know um, ah, okay okay some information like oh i didn't realize how this hydrostat you know works on this dozer or whatever and this is where you check the pressures and how you do it and that kind of stuff. And then I'd take that in or like motor graders. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how some of the stuff worked on that or how to calibrate stuff exactly and getting to learn all that. But I mean, other than that, it's just like, well, I'm bored. <laughs> okay. I will, I will second that because I had to retake. I, I want to say it was like three years ago. Um, Three years ago, the training department decided that they're gonna they were gonna do something where they would build a standardized test to gauge where you're at and what training you were lacking in. 
Yeah. It was like a four and a half, five hour technician assessment, dude. It was a, it was a pretty involved test. Hmm. And apparently I aced most of those questions, but, um, it's, it, the, one of the ones that I screwed up on was precision measuring because it didn't do a whole lot of it since biotech, mm-hmm. but all that I screwed up on is I put the decimal place one spot over to the left. <laughs> so I was measuring in my like literal, I was using a dial caliper or reading a dial caliper and I kept turning it into like a micrometer basically. Mm-hmm. And you know, those only go to thousands, not the 10,000. So <laughs> I had to sit down and take another precision measuring class, even though I knew what I screwed up on. And that was the one class that I will say I also kind of, I didn't really, I didn't screw off. I didn't, I guess, let me rephrase the question. Um, the guy who screws off and interrupts the class. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been right. there. So seen that. Yeah. That's, but, that's what I mean by screwing off. Cause that, that kind of shit is, there might be somebody there who actually wants to learn that. Right. Yeah. They're there for a reason. Yep. And but I think deer kind of did one of those technician assessment deals, but I, I left before or right as it was coming out, it was like engine class. But mm. I would fail that immediately just because my attention span is so <laughs> – I could go out and diagnose it in the field, no problem. But if I got to do a test on it, mm, I'm fucked. Man, I'll Isn't tell you crazy? what. You kind of strike me as the kind of guy that uh, they would that they would just hate tests, everything to do with the test in high school. It does, mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't matter what the curriculum is. You just hate it. Oh, yeah. I hated I hated any test, any star testing. Uh I hated getting my driver's license, taking the test because I just, <laughs> I hated getting my, my CDL just because I can't focus. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand that. I actually <laughs> love tests. I don't know why, but maybe it's because that's the only way I passed high school was just because I aced the tests. I yeah. just didn't do the fucking homework. Uh, no, it's, that's the thing though. Is like, I've always found tests to be fun because it's, to me, it's a challenge. It's. I gotta, I gotta prove that I know what I'm talking about, kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No, I, I got you. No, and some people are like that, but I just I can't do it. I definitely have ADHD. Just uh, <laughs> don't yeah, know how yeah. bad it is. <laughs> There's a lot of people out in our trade that definitely still have ADHD. I don't know if they know that they do that they actually do though. But mm-hmm. uh, the second part of that question, though, as far as keeping yourself up to date, like a lot of us are younger guys. I you're, if you're listening to this, chances are you're probably a younger guy. There's other, there's older guys out there or older techs that are out there kicking ass, not to, you know, gender discriminate, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that they are, they came up with technology, right? Like yep. growing up, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm still a young pup by any standard. I don't feel it, but, um, you know, I grew up with the technology. I grew up with dial-up internet. I grew up with with no internet kind of thing, right? So it's yep, yep. computers and stuff have always been part of the life of of people around my age group. But it astounded me working in Mountain West. There was only one older guy, like old old guy, who bothered to learn computers when they started to be introduced. All mm-hmm. the other old guys didn't want anything to do with them, and there was one man ancient motherfucker dude like every time he walked by i swear it just sounded like a steam engine because he was just wheezing and puffing (laughs) but all what he did was undercarriage work and i Mm -hmm. remember asking him one day he has a he has a snow plow it's lifted up on on uh chassis jacks because he's wheeling the axles out 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you're like 80, man. Why are you doing this? Oh, I, uh, I, I ain't never going to learn no computer shit. Like, and this stuff's simple enough. And like, you can tell he's just in perpetual pain. <laughs> and it's like, you think about it and you're going, you probably came up in an era where you saw the newfangled computers hitting the market in, in trucks. And you're like, that'll never take. And you decided, eh, it's not worth my time. Well, lo and behold, turns out that is worth your time. That's worth your health. That's worth your future. That is the next thing. I'm not saying go out for every cliche, every fad out there that hits the market, but if something new is coming along, you might want to just pay attention to it a little bit. You might want to learn it, at least the fundamentals. That way, when it actually does, if it does take, you're not completely left out. Yep. Well, you got to you gotta know computers being in this industry now. I mean, you got to have it for everything. Well, well I mean, you want to talk... I know you don't like talking tools, and I understand why. I second most of that. <laughs> well, we but, can talk about it, get it out of the way. <laughs> well, okay. You, I will hit you with one of the one of the most important ones: your resources. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to know what tools to buy. Like any idiot can go out, go to Lowe's, and spend six hundred dollars and have most of the tools that they need to to be able to be a mechanic. But if you don't know how to use them, like that doesn't do you any fucking good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So your resources, man, your, your knowledge, like you want to talk tools, Chris hit it right on the head, your laptop. That's a, that's the most used tool you have. Yep. It is the, like, you can go up, you can probably tell what's wrong with the machine right off the bat. You show up, oh, it's going into, into inducement. Uh, yeah, probably cause you ran the death tank out. And so now it's freaking <laughs> out. Well, you can't do anything until you plug into it, until you get the computer the software to be able to talk to the ECM to say, Hey, everything's cool. Now you're full of death. Stop being dumb. Yeah. Right. It's, yep. but even then it's, it's the resources. It's, it's being able to, being able to interpret the information that's given to you, the schematics, the stuff, the, the theory of operation and things like that. It's the ability to take all that knowledge and apply it. Right. So I would, it, it goes back to the same thing. It's, it's kind of hand in hand with the guy who buys like, the 72 inch epic you know right off the bat right as soon as he starts out but it's full of nothing because he doesn't spend the money on the tools yeah like it's the same principle don't worry so much about the hard tools start focusing your skills first yep definitely and uh yeah i mean i i don't i don't really know on like tools wise i mean I just, I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> I don't even know what to say, right. man. <laughs> I, well, like uh, you said on that live, dude, it's people just want to know, well, what tools should I buy? Mac or Matco or whatever. It's like, the, I don't know. What don't. do you like? I mean, yeah, you, there I, you go. It, it's tough, man. I, you can buy a little bit of anything and everything. I've got stuff from snap on to Harbor freight. I mean, I don't hate on any of it most of the time. Oh, oh, I feel you. I'm the same way. And it's funny, you know, everybody talks about like, oh, I love the, the you know, Milwaukee or DeWalt kind of battle. And it's like, dude, if it gets the job done, that's the most important tool you have, man. Yep. Now, yep. if you want to sit down and try to hammer out and finesse, like, oh, this is faster, this hits harder, whatever. Great. Like that. that's up to personal preference at that point. And what I like might not be what you like. 
So like, I do a lot of shit with a 14.4 uh, Snap-on impact, three eighths. Yeah, and yeah. let's let's talk about this for a second. Milwaukee, great company, great tools. No hate on them, yeah. but uh, we have a resident currently, and he we had to take a counterweight off of a 350G, which is a mid-size excavator, and mm-hmm. he busts out his one-inch Milwaukee. Like, oh yeah, I'll get these bolts out, no problem. He gets under there, take, 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 nothing. Busts out the old air. Pulls them right out. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear all this this badass shit about Milwaukee when they can't pull out bolts, you know, one inch in diameter. <laughs> and the good old good old fashioned air will do the same thing, you know, or, you know, actually break them loose. Yeah, so. that's like, I can rattle head bolts off of a C-18 with my three-quarter impact, my, mm-hmm. my Milwaukee. Doesn't mean that I want to because it's a rattly son of a bitch when it does it. Yeah. I'd rather just break out my my three quarter air and just buzz them off real real fast because it'll just hit it a couple of times, spin it off, no biggie. Yep, and but, it'll. I mean, do a little bit faster. There's a, yeah, there's a time and a place for certain things. I agree, but I don't know, man. It's not. It's neither one nor the other for now. I'm sure eventually cordless will catch up, but mm-hmm. for now, you're better off just making sure you got both. Yes, sir. Definitely. All right, that's enough. <laughs> we we have officially touched on the tools. Yes. We're good. So I kind of want to <laughs> go back a little bit. You know, we were kind of talking about computers and stuff. And uh, you have a nice big following on social media. Let's talk about how it's a powerful thing and it can both help you and hurt you. Yeah, that's that's a very, very good one to talk about because I've had a few texts reach out to me now who have asked. They've said, uh, hey, you know, I've got whatever dealer uh, that I'm working for, they want to do some stuff or they've seen my social media and they don't want me to do some stuff mm-hmm. or even better. This is one thing that I've actually uh, helped walk somebody through is they want to do some stuff with me, but they don't want me to keep using their name. Like they mm-hmm. use me in advertising, but they don't want me to, to show that I work here. Yeah. And it's like, how do you navigate that? How do you understand that? And in today's world, one of the things that, Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've found Certified Ranch on social media. You've found mm-hmm. them through whatever, you know, your, your particular choice of social media is. And it's there's no denying it. It is going to be a crucial part of our society as it is right now. And it probably mm-hmm. always will be. But the one thing you got to be you got to be cognizant of is how much information you're putting out there. It, as far as like what can actually hurt you. So if you're showing you're getting just fucking plastered every single night, whether you do or you don't, if you're showing that life, your employer might, you know, they can look at that and they might decide, you know what, maybe this guy isn't fit to go into the field when you apply for a field position because they don't want somebody who, if they call on them, they're going to be like, oh, sorry, I'm already fucking six beers deep. It's like, yeah, well, okay, I'm going to call the customer now and say we can't get out there till tomorrow, right? Like, you, know, you know you say that, and that is like, you hit that so perfect because my wife obviously is a supervisor, mm-hmm. and one of her things is before, I don't know if I should say this, We can I can talk to her <laughs> after we record it and see if I need to edit it out, but one All of the right. things that she does when she – interview somebody it should go facebook stock them oh dude everybody does and any any good interviewer will will social media stock their candidate mm-hmm. 
and she went to a job fair a couple weeks ago and a guy came up and was talking to him and she's like, this dude's on drugs. And she said that to her boss and he's like, no, no. Well, they did a, a zoom meeting or something like that. And they're mm. like, okay, yeah, I think we're going to hire you. You need to come in for a drug test. And I guess the guy was like, never mind. <laughs> Oof. It's so like noted. She's good. She's, she's smart at reading people, you know, and yeah, that's one of her things well, that she does. And that's, that's what most, like if basically if you're going to, if you're going to apply it somewhere that's worth a shit to work at, they're going to do their homework too. Mm-hmm. And that's totally fine. But the thing that people don't understand is most of the time they're already giving away any bit of information that they could on social media. You know, yep. it's, it is a extremely powerful tool, but it can also be used as an extremely powerful tool for good. Like there's been times that somebody's reached out to me and I, if, if you've been following me for a while, you know that I just, I, I don't get back to people and I, <laughs> I've written about that. I've talked about it and you know, it's, it's just, it's just who I am. I get a little overwhelmed thinking about it, you know, but there's been there, the few times that I've been like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll start answering messages. I'll a- respond to comments, whatever. Um, people will ask, will be like, Hey man, I've got this going on with this machine or I've got this going on. And the social media thing, great example. Somebody reaches out, Hey, like my company wants to do this social media thing with me. Okay, great. Here's some things to look out for, right? There's, there's a community, there's help. There's, um, you just had Mike on, he mentioned he goes to forum page or Facebook groups and and forums and stuff all the time and Mm -hmm. finds specs and information and procedures all there because we all, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you turn a wrench on, dude. We're all turning wrenches for a living. We're all busting knuckles. We're all in the suck to some degree or another. We, we're going to more than likely help each other out. Unless you know, we're still douchebags here, but whatever. You're <laughs> more than likely you're going to help each other out, right? Yeah. Yep. It is a powerful tool for good, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I, I don't really know how much you want to hit on this but how companies are you know slowly coming around to utilize it so that was actually that's helped me out quite a bit um for those who don't follow me uh i did a couple of really cool things with mama cat uh just because of social media because Mm. uh caterpillar is actually really strict when it comes to social media usage and and so on they're almost militarily strict and i find some kind of weird comfort in that but (laughs) they uh they have a really, really active social media group. Like they have an entire dedicated team and department for social media and they're embracing it. They recognize the fact that it is arguably the next wave of marketing. It is the next way to reach out to potential customers, to potential employees, to talk about their newest advancements to show off their accomplishments right so Mm -hmm. social media is more and more prominent and you're seeing more and more places and dealerships and so on start to recognize that and they're starting to get on board some of them probably won't some of them a little later than others but you know i've been afforded opportunities because of the, the small little corner of instagram that i have Really just because Mama Cat saw that and was like, hey, that's really cool. Let's bring him out and do some kind of thing with, with all this other stuff. Like yeah. there's opportunity there. And yeah, sure, I'm a propaganda piece. They they can say, we have a – like look at this. It's a fulfilling career. This Marine Corps veteran 
is making a making a, a living with it. But I mean, they're not wrong. It is a fulfilling career, right? Mm-hmm. So that's at the end of the day, it's it's gonna become more and more more and more of a uh, a specific thing that you gotta you gotta learn how to navigate. Um, now, if you are on that note, if you are reached out or if your company does reach out, they want to do something with you, um, be, what's the word I'm looking for? Be, uh, polite about it. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. but make sure that you're compensated fairly. Make sure that, um, you're not going to be taken advantage of. Um, like I mentioned, I did have a, another tech reach out and you actually know her. Uh, she was talking about how her particular dealer wanted to use or they, they didn't want her to talk about the fact that she worked at that dealer anymore, even though she had already been used as like, a, hey, come work for us. We even have female techs working with us kind of thing. So was this the current dealership that she's working at? I believe she still works there. Yeah. So if it's the person that I'm thinking you're talking about, we used to work for the same company. So that's why I was kind of asking yeah, um, she asked me about that, and I told her like one of the things that you need to do is make sure that um, that you're not portraying them in a negative light, and then just try to work with them because most places they're coming at you from a legal standpoint right off the bat. That's the only thing that they know. So, yeah. but if you're if you're willing to work with them, they can a lot of times they'll see it and be like, oh. Okay, maybe we're thinking of it a little too harsh, and they'll they'll start to work with you on it. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that actually real quick. Um, my buddy Zeth, you know Zeth, Zeth with ZK Master Tech. Yeah. Um, texted me the other night and said, "Mama, Mama Deer has come after me," mm. and. All because of the intro to his videos have this little cute green square logo. Yep. And yep, yep, yep. I just was blown away by it because he's not doing anything bad, you know, talking bad about the machines or anything in his videos. He's not asking for money, you know, nothing, but they had a problem with that logo. And I just, I can't understand it, but I also understand it from a legal standpoint. Yes, 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 whatever. It was just, it blew my mind. But that's, that's just what it is. So I'm a bit of a nerd. And <laughs> one of the things that, uh, oh, I'll, I'll own it. I'm a fucking nerd. I don't really care. Like, who am I trying to impress? Um, but one of the things that I know of is how quickly Nintendo will go after anybody using any of their, their proprietary stuff mm-hmm. at all. Like you literally have to go through, read up on all the other previous things that have been hit by Nintendo, just so you know what to avoid and how to word your, your, uh, like if you're putting up a YouTube video of something and it has something Nintendo in it, you have to have so many things in the descriptor just to be able to avoid it. Some kind of copyright strike or something like that. Mm. Mm. So, but that's just what companies do. They just, they know Legal stuff. They know litigation because it's it's a black and white thing. It is a it is okay. This is this is right or wrong, and we can prove this in court because of this. Right? It's not so much of a of a feelings kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's what they know. That's basically what I gather, and I'm I'm ignorant on this. I'll say, but what I gather business is like is it's very much so like you know if we have if we have something that we can run off of that's going to be black and white, we're going to use that. 
So that's, and I, I feel really bad for him because when it comes to that point and they're, they're coming after you and let's say he got a, I don't know if he did, but if he got a cease and desist, there's nothing you can do, bud. Yeah. I don't, you I don't can know. try. Oh, go ahead. You can try, but I, I don't think it's worth the effort. I would cease and desist and just, just play the game. Cause eventually yeah. it might change. Yeah, no, I he's he's doing what he's got to do. They basically just said take that off. So now his he just posted a new video, and it doesn't have that logo in it. So he's yeah. still good to go. But uh, but the yeah. other the other thing that's kind of interesting is they always say you know even negative publicity is still publicity. Mm-hmm. Um, now his name is is among their circles. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if and this is just what I've I've kind of gathered from other people who have kind of run into this if they uh they come back to him in i don't know six seven months and they're like hey you know we actually kind of want to do something with you and they might do some kind of you know sponsored video with him or something like that like knock on wood hopefully it happens and it it's not more you know actual negative negative shit headed his way but Mm -hmm. again it kind of goes back to the fact that more and more companies are recognizing the power of social media yeah Definitely. But again, to circle it all the way back around, just be careful what you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Especially this right here, what we're doing. This is uh, one of the scariest things to do because, you know, I, I talk good and bad about things and you just never know who's listening. I've got, uh, you know. I've gotten, you know, contacted by um, engineers from Deer and telling me I'm doing a good job, but that's... That's how you know that a lot of people are listening when you got engineers contacting you. <laughs> Damn, that's fucking impressive, dude. That's that's really cool. Yeah. That yeah. is that's an honor, man. Yeah, definitely. What were you going to say? But I mean, it I'm just kind of hitting back on how it's a good and a bad thing, but it's it's really powerful. Mhm. That's a great example. Let's uh let's jump here. Um another one that I really like here is uh well I'm kinda gonna lead you into this one, but you know, going from working in the shop um to working out in the field now, dealing with customers, uh how important is it to learn how to communicate professionally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I've never had a problem with this. Uh, because my own experience, you know, I grew up in a, I, the little neighborhood that I grew up in, there were hardly any other kids, let alone any near my age. So I actually grew up hanging out with a lot of adults and I didn't get cartoons or video games because I had really shitty grades cause I wouldn't do the homework. So <laughs> I read books and well, a lot of people have told me Man, you write really I, – I get this one a lot now because I have a new supervisor is, mm-hmm. man, your service reports are really good. Well, well, thanks. Like I don't think I'm doing anything different. But then I'll go back and I'll like read up on machine histories and I'll read somebody's service report and I'm like, what did a fucking two-year-old write this? What the hell is this, <laughs> man? Yeah. Like no. And granted, I know I'm a, I'm a bit of an anomaly but – it goes back to the same thing is that's what the customer reads. And if the customer looks looks at that and says, 
I'm paying $158 an hour for this fucking yokel to come out and fix this. And this is the descriptor I get. Like, I don't even know what the fuck he did. I don't even know if he worked on this machine, right? <laughs> yeah, so, well said. Yeah, it is it is absolutely crucial for you to just be able to take a couple seconds and make sure what you write is intelligible. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how smart you actually are. Nobody sees you. They see your work. They they don't see your work. They see the report, the aftermath. They see that, that brick of, of whatever and they say, oh, Wow, this guy's really well versed. He must know what he's doing, right? You can and you can look at the greatest orators in history. Those guys, they could stun an audience and not know what the hell they were talking like the audience that they were talking to, right? <laughs> yeah. Words are pretty powerful. If you can know your way around a few good words, then you're pretty well set. But the other thing that I want to touch on is professional communication. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Learn how to write a letter. Learn how to write a header to a letter. Learn how to sign off on a letter. How to construct the actual paragraphs of a letter. Um, you're going to find that if you send an email out to somebody asking for help, if you're just like, hey man, LOLs, I don't know what's going on, they're probably not going to take you serious. <laughs> That's awesome. But if you send an email out and you're like, hey, good afternoon, so-and-so. I'm working on this. I've got this this issue and so far I've done this. What are some of the things that you would recommend that I do from here so I can try to figure out what's going on so I can have a better understanding of the system so I can do, you know, whatever it is, they're going to look at that and say, okay, well, this guy's genuinely trying. He wants to know, right? So they're more than likely going to help you. Plus, when it comes time to sit down for your your reviews, let's say you apply for a management position or something like that, because you mentioned, uh, I think it was the one with Josh where he's, yeah, because Josh wants to be a TC, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And even then, TCs, man, you gotta you should probably know your your verbiage so that when you actually write back to the dealer the DSN network and stuff like that, that you're not sounding like a complete fucking yokel. Because they're more again, they're more than likely gonna try to help you out if you don't sound like an idiot. But most guys, like you mentioned, do they do start with some aspiration of wanting to go into the management side. So they go, Yeah, you know, I want to get into management, but if you can't even master basic communicate professional communication, you're not going to do well when it comes time to talk to a customer who's pissed off about his bill, who's pissed off about a technician delay or whatever, because you don't know how to articulate that they or circumstances are out of your control or you know what whatever it may be. You don't know how to be able to professionally communicate that. You're just going to make it make matters worse because you're going to probably go after him with the like, well, it's all because of this, you fucking idiot. And like, it's, it doesn't work. Man. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But even then, let me ask you something. How many times have you, uh, when you were at the dealer, did you get like a, like a, a full dealership email? Like it went to everybody and you always get the idiot that hits reply all. Mm, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. All the damn time. Same thing. It's little things like that, dude. You just got to be able to navigate how to professionally communicate. And that's part of it. Yeah. And so kind of leading off that there, I, I know when your little description deal, you're introverted, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> how hard was it for you to kind of get in the groove of talking to customers and, you know, I don't really know how to ask, but like, are you well, <laughs> out, outgoing when it comes to that or does the military no. help with that? Uh, well, so 
kind of, I guess. And it, I know how to professionally communicate pretty well because of the military. Mm-hmm. You don't really have an option of being introverted when you have to take a shower with 83 other dudes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you just, there's some scruples that you drop pretty quick. But uh, one of the things that I found is being introverted, I don't really enjoy having to explain something to a customer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll call and be like, hey, your machine's fixed. It's good to go. I released it to the operator. Well, what was wrong with it? And I'll just get tongue-tied. Really? Like I could literally sit there and if it was an email, I could write back. I could probably write back a novel to them, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to a computer essentially. <laughs> and it's I can go back and reread it and, and so on. So but the customer facing side of this has been it's been a lot of growth. It's been a lot of stepping out of the comfort zone, right? So even just mm-hmm. talking to customer or operators even when they're saying, Oh yeah, it's doing this, like couple the fact that I'm learning about these systems literally as I'm standing there and troubleshooting it mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm introverted, it is when customers want to hover, it is, it isn't fun. Um, it's a big step out of the comfort zone. And I honestly feel relieved when I'll call a customer and they say, yeah, it's uh, it's out in the field. Uh, just call me when it's done. Oh, thank God. Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. I will. F- I'll fix your shit. So good. You won't even know what happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's a step, a hundred percent, and it's a lot. It's a lot of growth, uh, and not just what you would expect as far as stepping out of comfort zone. But it's a lot of growth in um, understanding how people perceive you too. Yeah, and I'm sure that you've experienced both sides of the spectrum. Where for one one side you get, which is like the customers are just so happy that you're there. Mm-hmm. You're there. You're fixing their shit. You're the best thing ever. Yeah. Or the other customer who's like, this thing's a piece of shit. I don't ever want to see it. I don't even want you here, but I got to get this <laughs> job done. <laughs> okay, man. I, I'm I'm just trying to put food on the table. I have no preference. My right? favorite is when you first get there and you're not even out of your truck fully yet. And they, uh, what's wrong with it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. You just want to look at them and go, I thought you were going to tell me. What do you I mean like, what's wrong with it? I'm here to find out, man. Yeah, I get that a lot from operators at my company now. It's like, I don't know you're still in the machine. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my yeah. favorite is when you roll up and you get the operator who's just demanding that there's nothing wrong with their machine. As it's puking hydraulic fluid out of the back? Or blowing white smoke. It's got no codes. Yeah. I Okay, <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't yet, but when it locks up, it's going to have codes, bud. <laughs> No engine uh, speed detected, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, like you're in the field now. You're not in a big mm-hmm. truck or anything. What are your plans with that? Are you hoping to hop in a bigger truck and not be a fast response guy or what's the well, plan there? As far as the as far as the light truck, like the F one fifty, um it's it's literally the best way for a guy like me to get into the field. And that was one of the things that my manager, um, it's funny. So my manager has actually been trying to poach me ever since I started in power systems. Weirdly enough, like dudes taking a liking to me, which is super cool. Uh, but I told him, I says, look, man, like I don't, I have got fundamentals, but I don't know the systems. Oh, that's fine. That's cool. You're here to learn. And that's the point of the rapid program is they 
they take a guy in the shop because most dealerships for Caterpillar now are trying to go away from repairs in the shop unless it's new equipment. They want to do more overhauls in the shop. They want to do more machine life cycles. So they want the repairs to be out in the field. But the thing is, is if you have a guy who's been doing nothing but overhauls, he doesn't have a lot of repair or troubleshooting experience. So sticking him in a Peterbilt and saying, go nuts, kid, is going to be overwhelming because now he's learning about DOT laws. Now he's learning about you know, how to do shit independently and how to face the customer, how to fix the machine. He's also learning, well, this job has got a lot of hidden shit to it that I didn't even know what to think of. So <laughs> all that kind of adds on to it. The F-150, the Raptor response, like the trucks that, that our, our company builds is super great for a guy like me and for guys in the shop to get into the field. Unless you've been there long enough to where like you've been through every department, whatever, like that, that's a different story. But for just the average Joe who's been working in the shop for a while, maybe done a couple troubleshooting jobs, a couple big jobs, not a lot, but you know, he's, he's done some stuff. Best way to get in the field. Cool. Jump in this F-150, load it up with whatever tooling you feel like you need, or, or like, here's a basic tool list, but add whatever you need. Go to town, learn how to call the customer, learn how to troubleshoot, learn how to, and, and it's low investment for them. Because I believe the customer pays a lower rate and we're not being paid full field rate. It's mm-hmm. not a complete field serviceman. You're a percentage based. Mm. But mm. you learn how, like, how to manage your time properly because now there's no supervisor breathing down your neck. Now you have to be able to figure out, okay, can I make it to this job next? Or do I need to call that customer and let him know, hey, I'm going to be an hour late or I'm going to be – it'll be tomorrow or whatever. Mm. You yeah. Know? It lets you be able to figure out the subtle nuances of the job with relatively low risk. Now, my plans personally are to go from the F-150 and then get into like like a 550 service bed, maybe even a 650. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and this is probably going to be shooting myself in the foot, but I don't know if I want to get into a Peterbilt or a full truck because the vibe that I get is most of those guys are going out and doing big repairs as far as well now i'm swinging swinging engines which sounds cool until you swung like your eighth engine and then you're just (laughs) like dude just give me a give me an after treatment problem or a coolant leak or something like i'm over it so (laughs) like i i I like the variety and and Mm -hmm. the fast paced feeling of the job because currently i don't have a crane so if it comes down to troubleshooting and it's like well it's a pump get you on the schedule. Somebody will come out with a crane and fix it. I'm off to the next one to figure out what's wrong with it. Right. Mm, Okay. Or small repairs that gives me the opportunity to learn more about the systems that I'm troubleshooting where it's, you go out and you're, Hey, like this, uh, I was on a wiggle wagon not too long ago. And they said, Oh, it's blowing oil out the yoke seal for the transfer case. Like shit, everything I know about transfer cases, they're not pressurized. So I spent, you know, four hours learning about the system, doing some basic checks before finally thinking, Okay, I'm pretty sure I know where it's at. And I go through and yard the the uh, pump off for the transfer case. Pull mm-hmm. it apart. Sure enough, there was uh, what looked like a tooth from one of the gears wedged the suction side, broke the or sheared the gear off of the actual shaft. And it was still pushing pressure, but not pulling suction. Hmm. But, and then you know, you and, know and at that system. point, it's like, yeah, I know my system and I can tell the customer, well, I'll put you in touch with my guy. He'll give you a pair of options, but I don't have a crane, so I can't fix it here. 
it's kind of a cop out, but it also gives me like it's it's a welcome cop out, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a five fifty would be good because it gives me the crane to be able to go out and help if need be. And but, more room. Mm-hmm, and more room. <laughs> it, I'm getting pretty good at figuring out what I can fit into that truck and where I can fit it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I'm I'm pretty proud of my organization skills. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed your truck tour. Oh, it's gotten way better now. Okay. Oh, it is. Man, if only you live closer, I'd be like, come over, check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's only like what, a 20 hour drive. I'm just kidding. I don't know how far it is. I've made the nah, drive it's, once it's from a Salt Lake City. Huh? Really? Yeah. So I'm sorry. In 2009, I got, or 2009, 2019, I got married in California and we mm-hmm. decided to drive over to Salt Lake City and uh, stay overnight there. And that's when I met Chris Hadley in person. Oh, okay. Man, he gets so many name drops on this podcast. I know, dude. It's almost like you're getting incentivized from God, him. He's I like, should yo, be. give you an extra hundred a month. <laughs> Chris, uh, I need some money now. Uh, <laughs> nah, he's he's good people. He took me to this place, or me and my wife and my kid, to this place called Taco Taco. And I believe I know what you're talking about. And it was bomb, first of all. And mm-hmm. then we made that drive back, and it was kind of miserable. Yeah, when I was uh, the longest hour drive that I've ever done has been a thirteen hour drive. That's and it. That was just because of traffic. Yeah, I know you can do twenty four hours and literally still be in Texas if you go from one corner to the <laughs> other. So one fun fun fact: ninety eight percent of the fucking military is all from Texas, and none of them shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> oh my god! But no, yeah, it's huge. Like, if you're listening from outside of America, all the jokes about how big Texas are, they're pretty damn accurate. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it takes us to get from here to my house, or from my house back home in Northern California. It's a 27-hour drive. Yeah. So. That's why when people start talking about transport here and, uh, like, uh, buses and trains and stuff. When they start talking about that, oh, Europe has it. Dude, you can drive for four hours and leave like six different countries. You can drive <laughs> for four hours and still be in the same fucking city in some yeah. places. Like, come yes. on. Yes. So a sidetrack, I guess. Uh, no. So I kind of want to go, you know, off of what we were just talking about, but how how the shop and the field differ, you know, in terms of quality and speed and making judgment calls and all that stuff. I, I One of the to... hardest lessons that I've learned so far, mm-hmm. sorry to cut you off there, but no, it's been fine. most customers just want their shit fixed there. <laughs> yeah. So like if you, if you call them and you're like, Hey, you know, this part, I think this is it. And 90% of the time they give you the attitude to being like, why are you calling me? Like I called you out here to fix it, fix the damn machine. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, that took a lot get to get used to because in the shop, as far as my, experience has always been you would find that you would find what's wrong even if it was you know wasn't sure whatever troubleshooting was you'd find the, the the failure and you'd say okay well it needs this you tell your supervisor and a lot of times depending on your situation sometimes your supervisor might be like oh well okay well let me look at it or let's let's have somebody look at it real quick just to make sure right and then they will call the customer and they'll communicate with them and then They'll come back to you and say, okay, well, let's fix this or let's not do that. And there's there's so many opportunities for things to get misinterpreted, things to get missed, or 
there's so many opportunities for that to take forever as opposed mm. to just being able to like, mo- like, like I said, most customers you show up and you say, Hey, it's this. They're, they're wondering why you're still just standing there. They want their shit fixed. Like, dude, I called you out here. I've waited a couple weeks. Fix this now. <laughs> I don't care what it takes. Yep. But in terms of speed and quality, um, those go hand in hand. They are almost like a teeter totter. So one of the things in the shop is you get the luxury of more quality oriented. Sure. You have more eyes on you that will come back to you at the end of the job and say, Hey, mm-hmm. you got a lot of time on this job. Well, yes I do. But look at the fact that this thing looks fucking fabulous. It looks fantastic or whatever. Or, you know, there's, there's more of a, an opportunity to be able to focus on quality because it doesn't feel like as much of a rush. Right. Um, you'll, there's a saying from the Marine Corps that I really like that says slow, is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what that, that entails is you fix it right. The first time you fix it like with a quality repair, it's not going to come back for the same thing or something slightly further down the line. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the chiefs that I worked under, cause I did get an opportunity to go on a boat for a while. Uh, one of the chiefs said, he had, he had a rule. He called it his, uh, his 26 inch rule. He says, you fix whatever the, whatever's wrong with it. And I want you to draw a 26 inch radius around that and fix anything else that you see within that, those 26 inches. <laughs> and dude, like all the, all the support equipment on that ship was, it was immaculate, man. And yeah. that's something that's saying something for something that lives its life on the ocean. Yeah, definitely. But quality Dude, I'm telling you, a lot of people, they'll their mindset is, I just got to get to the next one, and kind of tying hand in hand with the rapid, the rapid truck and the rapid response position, is I feel more, I feel like I have more opportunity to be able to to learn, and so I'm constantly trying to find the root cause. So I've gotten so many customers already that are like, yeah, dude, I'm glad you found that because. Man, the last couple of guys that have been here, they just they just threw a part at it and they left and that didn't mm-hmm. fix it. And it's yeah. and that seems to be more and more common. And that's not how we should be as technicians. You know, no. you want to be a parts changer, go work on an assembly line somewhere. <laughs> like yeah. no, you need to fix the problem. Especially yeah. at the rate most customers pay. Yes, exactly. Nope, I completely agree. I don't some <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, it's hard to diagnose, you know, something like you got an engine that's overheating and you've gone through everything. It's like, well, it, I narrowed it down to a possible thermostat, you know, let's put a thermostat mm-hmm. in it and hope and pray for the best. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Symptom based troubleshooting is, is a little bit more tricky and I'm learning that with hydraulics where it's like, they'll complain it's doing something and you show up and you can't get it to do it. But you can, like, you're checking pressures with gauges or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see some stuff and you're going, mm, maybe. You read up on theory or the schematic and you're going, this is probably going to be it, but I have no guarantees. So <laughs> no, let's just go ahead and try this. But usually what I found when that happens is it's best just to go cheapest option first. Yeah, definitely. So if it's like, it makes a noise, well... If there's a relief valve, like, mm, I might try that one first because it's cheaper than buying a spool or a whole valve body, right? 
mm-hmm. you know, or like obviously situationally dependent, but that one's a big one that I'm, I'm getting up to speed on. So, I, you know, I got a few more questions for you, but do you got any, any questions for me? Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of wondered. So I know that you've been in, you've been in this industry for a bit, right? You've mm-hmm. been turning ventures for a while. You've seen a lot of shit, but you've also, you've grown quite a bit, especially here recently on the social media side of things. Yeah. But who are some, some technicians that you would say both social media and people you've worked with in the past, you would be like, I looked up to that guy or I still look up to that guy or that, that tech. Um, Hmm. You know, social media wise, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, I've always looked up to the guys, you know, like, uh, Alex Stursa. I think that I always fuck up his name, you know, and, uh, you know, he's got DBM in Nevada and just the way he has grown his business since he's taken it over, you know, and just keeps going. And I've always looked up to that. And like, if I ever went out on my own, I'd want my business to be booming like that. Um, but as far yeah. as you know, who I've looked up to, <clears throat> you know, my first boss that took me under his wing way back in 2007, you know, I've, I always looked up to that guy and, uh, he, he taught me a lot and patience, you know, and, uh, but I gotta say nowadays, definitely my boss, you know, he's old school and, uh, he knows a lot of shit. And, uh, if, if I'm not learning from him, I'm trying to impress him, you know, just because he, <laughs> he's he's got well, that effect on me quite a bit. It's it's funny you say that because um, one of the things I've kind of noticed when it comes to old school guys is they are more or they're better at seeing when you're when you're genuinely trying or when you're genuinely mad at yourself for a fuck up. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned that cylinder that you yeah. fucked up and he's just yeah. like, eh, I've seen it. No biggie. Like. He knew you weren't like, it wasn't, it was a fuck up. Sure. But it wasn't like you were completely ignorant to it or you're like, ah, company money. I don't care. Like you were, you're looking at yourself going, damn, that was a rookie mistake. I should. Yeah, and up. I don't even know if it was me that, that did it. You know, it's just, I built the cylinder and it failed. So I don't know if it was a, just a part failure or if it was me. So. Well, but dude, I'll, I've been there. I had a freaking, uh, a 3408 lock up on the dyno. Oh, and shit. well, there so <laughs> I still kind of beat myself up to this or uh, about this, but I had this thing lock up on the dyno and take it back, tear it down, looking everything over as good as we can. We we had every set of eyes on this thing. Like we had this, the bearings under the microscope trying to find a reason. There was literally, there has never been any solid like aha moment when, Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when, when you find a failure, like you look in and go, ah, that's what caused it. No, there was none of that. None <laughs> of it. So as far as everybody, everybody, and my supervisor is really good at, at making sure I didn't let it go to my head too much. But he said, uh, he was like, look, you did everything you could, but sometimes you're going to fuck up. And sometimes it's not your fault. And sometimes you never find out why. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, damn, dude. And it sucks. Yeah. yeah you no, never def- know. Definitely. And, uh, I still, you know, the control valve is still sitting in the yard and I'm like, mm. <laughs> thanks for the reminder. <laughs> well, I took that rod home, dude. I've got yeah. a, I've got a 3408 piston pack and rod just sitting here with a cooked, cooked, <laughs> uh, rod journal on it. 
Oh, man. <laughs> What's another? I, I actually do kind of wonder. So you say you got that older guy that you look up to. You have a... Uh, what about any like any guys you've worked with that have kind of earned your respect? You ever you ever run into those guys? You have any of those? Um, man, off the top of my head, um, you know, people I've worked with, you know, there's a there's guys that you'll work at the dealership that I worked at, the construction dealer, and you know they've been there 17 years and they don't seem much older than me, and uh, you know I always call them, you know. I had a little bit of an issue and I'm like, I think I know it's this, I think, but I just want to pick your brain. Cause I'm sure you've seen it before, you know, still good buddies of mine. And I always, I will always respect them and look up to them for that, you know, cause they were sure. No problem. I'll, you know, tell me what it is and see if I can help you. And, uh, it wasn't none of that. Yeah. I don't know. Find somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do know a guy like that, and uh, yeah, you know, it's like, well, shit. I'm sure you've seen it. You've been doing this long enough. You know, I'm sorry, I'm bugging mm-hmm. you, but help a brother out because I'm sure you were in my shoes at one time. Yep. So those yeah. guys, man. There's there's a few of them that are are absolutely worth. There's some guys you go you go and talk to, and they're just yeah, you know, this shit. I don't know, find somebody else kind of thing. But there's there's guys you go and you be like, have you seen this before? And I've always valued the guys that when you ask them that question, they'll try to help you understand it in your own way by yeah. kind of maybe giving you some hints, but asking you more questions about it. Right. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I was just asking you that because we're just under two hours. <laughs> Holy shit. And I was kind of, you know, I, I don't want to make this thing too long. So we're definitely going to pee. Yeah. You're telling me. <laughs> But uh, we're definitely going to have an episode two very soon. I think we should keep right. this thing going. But, uh, you know, because we have so much to discuss. <laughs> Trust me, we've uh, we've hit a few of the good ones, but there's a lot that we definitely want to talk about. Yeah. We didn't even get to that Instagram post. <laughs> yep. No, no, definitely. Um, unless you want to keep going. I mean, we can keep going on this thing. Nah, I'm, I'm sure that my little... Well, actually... My son's uh, dinner time's coming up, and okay, yeah, we got to get that dude fed. So yeah, but, there's gonna be an episode two soon, and I think me and Keldon are gonna work together on some things, and hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. figure something out and have some good news for everybody. So, um, but yeah, that's, thanks for uh, steal your thunder here. Thanks for bearing with me with that uh, long ass rambly intro, and God, that was like 45 <laughs> minutes of intro. If you're still here, by the way, I applaud you. You either have an iron ass or like, okay, if you came back to it, makes sense. Like, come back <laughs> to a couple of breaks here. That's fine. But holy shit, dude. Yeah. Well, uh, I, actually, going off of that, I have a new closing recording, so I don't have to constantly repeat myself. So <laughs> with that being said, right. let's uh, go ahead and close this thing out. Stay on the phone after. And if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me at certifiedwrenchpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at certifiedwrench underscore podcast, Facebook at certifiedwrenchpodcast, and check out the website, certifiedwrenchpodcast.com. And also, go ahead and, uh, you know, if you are looking for merch, you know where to find the link on the Instagram or Facebook. Um, And feel free to leave some reviews or 
give me that five star, especially on this episode, because Keldon's on. (laughs) (laughs) Buy the merch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, buy the merch. But yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on, and we're going to go ahead and do uh, episode two very soon. It's going to, I don't know if it's going to be a back-to-back thing, but uh, they'll definitely be close together, I, I imagine. Oh, yeah. We'll get her down, and uh, it won't be. It'll definitely be a lot more, because um, there's a lot of topics that Colton and I want to discuss that are pretty. They're pretty applicable to especially modern day trades. So stay yes, tuned sir. for that one. Hell yeah! But uh, I uh, definitely appreciate you coming around and everybody listening. And yeah, mm-hmm. I guess shout that's, out to uh, everybody who says get him on here. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! Anyway. Until next time, guys, we will see you.